0: Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the dramatisation of the truth that prayer changes things, but prayer changes us. Real prayer. You change us, Lord. As we look at the final section of this prayer, we ask, Lord, that your spirit will open our eyes, that you will be our teacher, and that we will learn from you and apply what we learn to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dependence in prayer. Uh, we saw in the first four words of the prayer, our Father in heaven, that that was our delight in prayer, that we come to our Father, our Father in heaven. And we saw last week our devotion in prayer, how Uh, His kingdom, his will, and his name being honored and glorified in my life is what the priority is in the prayer, so that we are devoted to him. And today we look at dependence as we look at the more personal uh, prayer that we bring to God. So we look at our food, our fellowship with God and with others, and our freedom to live the way God wants us to live give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts or sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All prayer is dependence. All prayer, true prayer is is in faith and faith is dependence on God. That's what faith is. And so when I No, I'm a sinner and I come to Jesus in faith and trust him to be my saviour. That's what I'm doing. I'm trusting in him, depending on him to do what I cannot do myself. That is prayer. Uh, When babies are born, and we've had two experiences of that, uh, plus our daughters have had their babies as well, but in our own personal experience, when the baby's born, that baby is so totally dependent on mum especially, uh, can't do a thing for him or herself and as that little one grows and grows, it become, it comes to the point where uh, we release them and they become independent living people in their teenage into twenties and when they settle down and live their own lives, whenever that happens, they become totally independent Now we still have a connection with them but it's a totally independent life that they're living, not dependent on us anymore. But that doesn't happen with God. When you are born into the family of God and you are dependent on Him, that dependence on Him continues right to death, right till the time when Christ returns, Whenever, whatever happens till we're with the Lord. We are dependent on Him in our lives and this, second, uh, this third section of the prayer, really, is just saying that we are to depend on him. Our, Father's, our Father in heaven desires this kind of dependence. First of all, for our provision. Give us this day our daily bread is not just talking about food. It's talking actually about all that we depend on in order to live our lives, our daily existence. It, it does include our food. And our clothes, as as Jesus went on to speak about in the rest of the chapter, uh, to be clothed and to have a place to live, uh, our a roof over our head, and all the very necessary aspects of living our life here on planet Earth. And so our daily provision is something that we're to pray for. Today, give us this day our daily bread. The word daily there is a word that is, well, for many years, no one knew, it, it, it was not in any other manuscript, uh, ancient, uh, it was the Greek word was just not known, um, and it, it, they, it, it was very close to the word daily, but it was different, and it's the word episeos, and then one day, somebody excavating found a, a parchment that had the word epiosios, uh, it is, epiosios, uh written on the top, and then underneath were all the things that that person was going to buy, not at the supermarket, but at the market, probably, or whatever, and it was a list, It's like a shopping list of these are the things that I need for today. And don't forget that back then, many of the people were just paid by the day. They would go down to the marketplace, and uh, the landowner would come in and they'd say, all right, you, 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 come and work with me and, and work on the farm today and, and you can do some reaping and, and work. Uh, and they'd pay them for the day. So most people were paid by the day and they would go home with their coin or whatever it was and then they would have enough money to buy food for their family and pay off any debts that they had to pay uh, and so on. They, they lived day by day. And so when Jesus is saying here, give us this day or each day our daily bread, give us what we need to survive this day. And for some people, that's very real. Very, even today, in many lands, people live by the day. Um, there's no guarantees even in, in our wealthy land. We don't know what's around the corner for us financially and, and, and in any other way. It's, it, it's like we, we live uh, with so much around us, but we can still end up uh, losing. So there's no guarantees. Nothing is too small for God. He cares for the sparrow. He cares for the little birds. And doesn't he care for you and I, Jesus said Aren't we much more value than they in the eyes of the living God? And nothing is too big for God. We're to come with him with the sense of dependence for his provision for our needs. Now, Mark and I lived many years as we were. I was involved in evangelism as a traveling evangelist. Our church commissioned us to do that. And the church gave us a small, relatively small amount of money that was just the monthly money that came in and then all the rest had to just come from where we worked or whatever. And so we had to um, trust God. And we actually lived by faith and we, we had a principle that we wouldn't tell people our needs. We'd just tell God. So we never told people our needs. And for many years, we just served God in that way. And every day we had Pay, put our money and put our food on the table and uh, every every time the month came around to pay our bills uh, we didn't have to uh, do anything, we, had, uh, we didn't have to put it off, we could pay our bills and God consistently provided for us and there's times when I remember traveling a long distance to preach on a Sunday at a church and come back and they didn't give me a gift and not that I would ask for it but You'd think that even the petrol would be covered, but no. But, well, that's their problem. That's between them and God. We will just trust God. And, you know, God constantly and always provided. Um, I remember one occasion when we were actually doing an internship after we'd started in full-time work. I had an internship for a year in the States, which was uh, like a mentoring internship in the church. And... um, while we were there, um, I thought I'd share with everyone. I had a devotion. Every, every morning we had a devotion, and it was my turn. So I shared about God's providing for us and said how amazing it was that we always had money at the right time to pay our bills and so on. And um, the next week, know, yes, the next week we had to pay our rent, and we did it through the church. The church had organised for the house that we were renting. And so we owed this money for our rent, and it was due on the Sunday. And we didn't have any money. We had $100 towards it. Was it $50? We had 100 towards it. And the rest we didn't have. So we prayed. Nothing came in. And it came to the Sunday. Well, the office in the church wasn't open on Sunday, so that, you know, that was okay. So Monday, no, nothing came in. Tuesday, nothing came in we beginning to doubt, well, has God let us down? Terrible thought. But I was so particular that if God said and tr- we trusted God, he would provide for us, and it wasn't there. So Wednesday, finally, nothing came in the mail. I went and saw the administrating uh, pastor guy there. Uh, and his name was Jack Davies. And I said to Jack, I said, Jack, I'm sorry. You heard my devotion last week and how I said God always provides. And, and here it is. It was due on Sunday and it's now Wednesday and I don't have it. I'm sorry. We've got $100 towards it. He said, oh, I forgot to tell you on Sunday somebody put some money in the offering. And, you know, that money added to our $100 paid our God is dependable. We can trust him. But do you know what? It was a number of years we, we were like that, living by faith. But then my auntie died in Brisbane. And we got some money from the will. And for the first time in our married life, we had enough money to pay all our bills and not worry about it. And I began to think, you know, don't need to trust God anymore. We've got the money. Hey, that's the danger. That's the danger. That's what this prayer is about. It's saying, first of all, it challenges our self-sufficiency because we are self-sufficient. We have money in the bank. We have our jobs and we have uh, the the government will help us if we don't have our jobs. And, and we live in a wealthy land relative to many other countries. We are super wealthy. And we can depend on our provisions instead of our provider. Our heart, our mind is, I'm trusting in the fact that I've got a good job and we've got money in the bank and, and blah, 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 and on you go. And on I go. And, and that's what the way we can be instead of saying, Lord, it can all go in an instant. And I just want to say every day, I'm trusting you. Give us this day our daily bread. We're relying on you, Father. Amen. Affluence robs us of dependence on God. And in 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes to those who want stuff and he says, learn contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. The love of money is the root of all evil. Then he goes on to say about the second group he talks about are those who are rich. And I think as we look at our country and our wealth, uh, we can say yes, relative to the people that, Jesus was speaking to on that day, we are rich. And here he says to the rich, this is where God speaks to those who have plenty. He says, do not be haughty or arrogant, nor set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't set your hopes on that. It's uncertain. He says, but set your hope on God who provides richly for us. Everything to, do you know the word? Enjoy. So God isn't saying that, you know, it's bad to have good stuff and bad to have money in the bank. He's saying he richly provides for us to enjoy. But if you're rich, this is what he goes on to say, but they are to do good and be rich in good deeds, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So God entrusts us with wealth when he does in order that we can share. And that leads to the next point, which challenges not just our self-sufficiency, but this request challenges our selfishness. Give me this day my daily bread? No. Give us this day our daily bread. Give Jeff... I'm getting back at Jeff. <laughs> give Jeff this day his daily bread. <laughs> give my brother who and sister who I know are really struggling financially at the moment. Give them their daily bread. And how can I pray that without helping them? How can I? You see, this prayer changes us. The rich can be arrogant. In other words, look at what I've amassed. Look what I've done. Look at my bank account. Look at my business or whatever. Or they also challenge, are challenged by trust. They're setting their hopes on wealth instead of on God himself. Generosity flows from trusting God. Think about that. When you live your life, when I live my life, trusting God for daily bread, when I really trust God, I can be generous. Like the Macedonians, remember them? Three times in scripture, it talks about the Macedonians. They were a a people who had very little money, but they had enough to be able to give to others who were in need and they gave generously. Even though they didn't have much themselves, and and so uh, we have. Uh, let me read it to you: the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they have given, uh, gave according to their means. Uh, And as I can testify, beyond their means, of their own accord, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You can't do that. You can't give generously when you don't have enough enough yourself unless you're trusting God. Give us this day our daily bread. And if I'm going to give that away, that means, Lord, I'm even trusting you more. selfishness. I love to feed the doves at our place. And at some stages, sometimes there's like a dozen doves in pairs. They all come. And I throw out mashed up bread, you know, the, the crusts of bread that I mash up and with water and, and throw it out on the garden. And there's one dove that comes and all the others are pecking away at it. And this dove spends the whole time chasing the others off. Like, get out of here. Get out of here. And then running after that one and chasing it off, and running after the next one and chasing it off. I think, I don't like that dove. It's funny, though, because that dove spends all its time chasing the others. And all, when it's chasing that one, the others are eating there. Then when it chases this one, the others are eating there. And so all the others have a feed, and this dove is only interested in getting rid of them. For his own or her own satisfaction, so he or she can have whatever. I can't tell the difference between a male and female dove. They take turns on the nest, so who knows? Anyway, getting back to it. Do you think God looks down on you and I and sees us like a dove that's more interested in ourselves than others? How terrible that would be. Our Father in heaven... We need to be like him. He gives generously. God is a generous God and and he loves to give. He gave his own son. How much more will he not also with him freely give us all things? God loves a cheerful giver, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9. And, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. That's a promise so that Having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And what he's saying there is God is able to provide your needs when you give to others who are in need. He'll make all grace sufficient for you so that you'll have at all times have enough for every good work, every good giving away to help people. Challenge, isn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. Don't pray that without thinking about what it means for you and I in that regard. So it challenges our self-sufficiency and our selfishness, but it also challenges our anxiety. And the rest of the chapter goes on to talk about not being anxious. And, and I mean, anxiety is a real issue. Um, We think about Israel in the wilderness and I'm sure that the people that Jesus was speaking to would would have triggered that thought. Give us this day our daily bread, our daily manna. Here was a million or so people. That's like the MCG, is there a hundred thousand people if it's filled? So it's ten MCGs full of people all travelling through the desert every morning. Every lunch, every dinner, they had to depend on God. Give us today our daily manna. And it was there. There was enough for everybody. Some got a little, and they had enough, and some got a lot, and they had enough. But they tried to keep it for the next day, tried to be selfish and hoard it. It stank. Except for Saturday when, I mean Friday when, when you got... Twice as much because on the Sabbath they weren't to go out and and uh, gather, and so God provided for them every day, and they had, had Keith Green to saying manna burgers, and manna waffles, and oh, it's all right. Enough for each day. Why? Because God wanted the. The Israelites, he could have provided in a way that it would last for a week. Of course he could have. But he wanted them to live with this dependence on him. And then uh, when the Ark of the Covenant uh, was placed in the temple and, and the, the tabernacle to begin with, and inside that Ark was what? Among other things, was manna. What? Why put manna in this holy seat of mercy in the innermost sanctuary of God's temple? Why? So that the next generation who didn't experience the manna would be able to be told when they asked, why is there manna in there? Because every day for 40 years, In the desert, dry and barren, God provided us with manna. And we're to live that way now, depending on God. I remember being in Chennai. Used to be Madras in South India. And working with a missionary there, and we had a team from... Um, of young people and we went, went there to work with this missionary and the missionary had a special um, outreach to families and children who were in very, a very poor area and we would go out and visit some of the families who were extremely poor like any city uh, everywhere there's, there's poverty And I remember that we had a a little Bible study group that met and we went there and they sang, Trust in the Lord and don't despair. He is a friend so true to you. No matter what your troubles are, Jesus will see you through. Did I make it? (laughs) Sing when the day is bright, sing in the darkest night. Every day, all the way, let us sing, sing, sing. And they were joyful, yet they had nothing. That's what we need, a heart like that. All right, let's move on. Not only are we dependent on God to live in dependence on his provision, but also on his pardon. And so we see here that... um, we are to forgive we're to ask God, please forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Our debts. Uh, in verse 14 he uses the word sins in, verse, in the actual prayer, he uses the word debts. The debts tells us of sins of omission, sorry. The sins of commission is when you break the law and do something wrong, when God says that's wrong and you still do it. And sins of omission is when you don't do what you really should do. And it's like a debt. And so here we have Jesus saying to his disciples, when you pray to pray, Father, forgive us our sins. But hey, if you're any, any knowledge of the New Testament, you know that we are forgiven. We're forgiven. We're justified by his grace by his blood that was shed for us on Calvary, we, are, we stand righteous before God, totally forgiven. Then why pray give us um, forgive us our sins? Because he's not dealing with us here as a judge. As a judge, he condemned us to death and Jesus bore that death upon the cross. And so when we put our faith in Christ, we are declared righteous. Our bank account that was in the red so much is now blank. And there's no, in fact, the righteousness of Christ has been credited to our account. So we are declared righteous before the judge. But now as our father, our daily living, our walk with God, is affected. Our relationship with God is affected when we sin. So that's what he's talking about here. Remember back in chapter thirteen of John's Gospel, uh, Jesus said, "I don't need to wash. Uh, I, I I need to wash your feet only because all, all the rest of you is is already bathed." Uh, so he's he's saying, you know. It's the walking through the day, the sins, the failures, and not doing things you really should do. And so he's saying here to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that's the hard part of it, as the drama portrayed. Forgiveness here is conditional. Conditional? Yes, conditional. Jesus said it. If you forgive, he says in verse 13, 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whoa. Whoa. It, it's very easy to gloss over this and say, oh I, I don't hold anything against anyone. Or well, we can do. Things that have people have done to us, even way back in the past, still hold. And, 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 and you, you and I are called to remember that that is, that is something God hates. Hates? Yeah. Let me read it to you. The parable that Jesus gave of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18 the servant's master took pity on him and, and cancelled his debt, which was like uh, he, if he lived 20 lifetimes, he could never, and all the m- money from 20 lifetimes could never pay that debt off. It was a huge debt. Millions of dollars in our currency today. And when that, that servant was forgiven by the master, he went out and there's a guy who owed him 20 bucks. And the guy got on his knees and said, please, please uh, forgive me. Just give me time. I'll pay it off. And, and, and this servant who had been forgiven such an incredible amount said to him, off to prison you until you pay the debt that you owe me. And, you know, Jesus called him a wicked servant. A wicked servant. He says, and this is how, listen, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Hey, he won't forgive us our sins. He won't restore the living, personal, vital relationship with him While we are holding something in our hearts of unforgiveness towards someone. When you say, what is forgiveness anyway? Because I just don't relate to that person who did that to me anyway. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. You may or may not get reconciliation, but forgiveness is something that's in your heart. So what is forgiveness? It's not forgetting the past hurts. It's... uh, it's not justifying sort of, oh, well, that person's under a lot of pressure and so on and so on and justifying their actions or lack of action. Or, and it's not merely asking God, oh, God, please forgive that person. That's, all of those are not forgiveness. What is forgiveness? And I'll get the um, screen up of what forgiveness is. It's my merciful response to someone who has unjustly hurt me so that I no longer listen No longer hold their wrongs against them, nor seek revenge, but free them from the obligation to pay for what they have done. We can get back at people in all sorts of ways. Stephen, when he was stoned, the first martyr said, as they stoned him, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And that's what forgiveness is. Don't hold that sin against them. They did wrong by me. I know they did. But Lord, I'm releasing that. And I'm going to treat them as if it never happened. I'm going to um, release them from that. Forgiveness gives up any right to get even. Do not take revenge, my friends, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12. And forgiveness is a choice. Being willing to absorb the pain. Being willing to absorb the cost. So why should we forgive? According to this and the rest of Scripture, the reason we should forgive others is because God has forgiven us. Ephesians 4.23, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And our last Point as we look at the uh, prayer that Jesus gave us to pray We've looked at his provision Or our provision really And our pardon Now our protection He says to pray Lead us not into temptation But deliver us from evil So our protection is first of all From temptation that's too strong You see it seems to imply that God would lead us into temptation. So, oh God, don't lead us into temptation as if God would. And it says in, in uh, James, doesn't it, that, uh, I've got it here. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when the, the, by their own evil desire, they are dragged away and enticed. So temptation is not something God does, but circumstances is. Temptation requires two things. First of all, circumstances and desire. I'm in a circumstance where somebody gave me change at the till when I was um, buying something at the chemist or something. And they give me an extra 10 bucks accidentally, and they don't realize it. That's the circumstance. It happens, you know? Oh. The temptation is the desire from within. Oh, I could do something with that 10 bucks. I don't know about it. I'll just put it in my pocket and walk out. Hey, wait a minute. Temptation. And our call here to ask the Lord, lead us not into temptation, is really saying, Lord, don't put us to a place where we will be likely to fail. Protect us, uh, hedge us around, don't allow us to be in a situation where we know we'll probably fail. Lord, sovereignly work in my life to not allow me to be in that spot because I don't want to sin and please just watch over me so that i don't get into the place where it was just too much and i give in and you know it says in 1 corinthians 10:13 god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted above your ability it could be the word tested there but with the testing or temptation he will also provide a way of escape so lord where's the way of escape here uh, the way is to say to the till, the person at the till, sorry, but that's too much. You, you, you only need to give me the short, the small change. Oh, yeah. Oh. That would be unusual in our society, but it's a witness. So next, our protection is from the evil one. Um... Deliver us from evil is really saying deliver us from the evil one. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. And Satan is working against Christ and against our Father God in heaven. And therefore he's working against us. And and Satan has plans. Let me read the verse. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 so that Satan will not, be, will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. And the word schemes means well thought out plans. We're not ignorant of Satan's well thought out plans to bring us down. So that Satan will not outsmart us. Satan has no power over you except the lie. His power is in the lie. God's power is in the truth. The more you know the truth, the more you'll detect the lie. Satan cannot touch a child of God. We belong to Christ. We are delivered from Satan. but he skirts around the edges and he tells us lies and leads us to believe something that's not true and that leads us to do things we shouldn't do, or think things we shouldn't think. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Dependence on God not to be outsmarted by the evil one. We can't pray that without getting into the Word and knowing the Word so that we have the shield of faith and the the belt of truth and everything we need to fight the evil one with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when we pray, is it like this? When we next pray the Lord's Prayer, which will be in about two minutes, are we willing to pray that and think about it and apply it And it will be life-changing. This prayer has more to do with God changing us than with providing us the answer of our needs. Oh, Lord, help me to pray that way in my own personal life. To realize that, all right, I have all these needs and concerns and my family and the and, and, and the neighbours and all the rest of it, but Lord, ultimately, prayer is about you, not about me, and about you changing me. Amen. I'm going to put a different worded Lord's Prayer. It is the Lord's Prayer, but it's worded in a way that helps us to understand it in our terminology on the screen. And I'm going to just stand and we're going to pray this prayer through together. Now, something wrong with opening your eyes to pray? <laughs> Jesus did it. He looked up to heaven and prayed, didn't he? So, let's just and if you're at home, pray this prayer with us. Either silently or with others in your lounge room. So, let's stand everybody and pray this prayer. And I will lead and we will pray together now. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. But rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Father, as we come to the end of this prayer, we ask that you will be glorified in the way we pray, not just in our prayers. Help us as in our prayer lives to see the absolute importance of prayer, Lord, but also how we pray. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord.